0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. Welcome to our series through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're calling it Dirty Church. I want to invite you to grab your Bible, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, and get ready to study God's Word together. Good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to see you. Good morning, and welcome to all of our other campuses who are joining us online right now. It is good to worship the Lord together. Uh, If you're new, my name is Tommy Kreitz, and I have the privilege of serving as the campus pastor at our Crystal Lake campus. And I also have the privilege of bringing God's Word to us this morning. And so, you're going to need your Bible. Uh, Take that out. Get your eyes on God's Word. Um, Either electronically or real Um, And if you don't have a Bible uh, Here in Elgin You can grab one of them from the seat back in front of you We'd love for you to get your eyes on God's word And at our other campuses You're going to find a Bible underneath the chair in front of you Uh, We'd love for you to have that We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 Verses 12 through 24 And uh, we're actually going to be finishing up the book of 1 Corinthians today Isn't that amazing? That's awesome Uh, We've been in this book for, I think, about two years now, Um, and uh, it has been a great time. And I I really do hope that our time through this book has been uh, helpful in growing your faith. It has been um, helpful in challenging you. It's been helpful in growing you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And since we are in the end of this book— What tends to happen at the end of Paul's letters is he gives a lot of uh, greetings and a lot of, um, we learned last week some logistics and some travel plans. This week, a lot of greetings and some final instructions and some goodbyes and some things in there. And so many people tend to skip over these verses. They kind of jump past them because uh, they think that there seems like there's little to learn in these greetings. Like, what does that have to do, uh, you know, with me today? How can that be beneficial to me? And they and they pass over these verses. I affectionately call like chapters like this, verses like this, the the junk drawer chapter, right? The not because it's junk. Okay, can, please hear me. This is the inspired Word of God. Amen. Right? God wrote all of these things. He He inspired the writers to write these so that we could have them. It is the inspired Word. It's not junk. It is beautiful. Um, But it's like the junk drawer in your house. Who has a junk drawer? Yeah, all of us, right? Of course we do. It's, it's the thing that, uh, it's the drawer that we put everything in that doesn't have a place in the house, right? Everything in our home has a, a, a particular spot in our house, right? It lives somewhere, whether that's in a bin, whether that is on a shelf or uh, maybe in a closet or on a table or on a dresser or in the garage, right? It, everything has its place, right? The toys, the kids' toys, they have a place on the floor, right? That's their place, right? Amen. And uh, but then we have this one drawer in our house, the junk drawer, right? This is the place where everything goes that doesn't have a home. And we kind of think of it as like the lesser of all of the drawers in our house, like, oh, that's just the junk drawer. And we, we think of it very lowly. But in fact, what happens most of the time is that uh, we are uh, looking for something, and we open up the junk drawer, and wouldn't you know it, we find a treasure in the junk drawer. The exact thing that we needed at the exact moment that we needed it, right? And, and that's what I view these passages like. They, they, they don't kind of fit in any other place in the letter. Paul is putting them at the end. They don't even really have an argument or a through line through them. It's kind of just moving uh, from thing to thing to thing. And But listen to me, just because it is that way and they don't have other places in the scripture, in the letter for them, um, it does not mean that they are not a wonderful treasure for us, and we're going to look at some of those things today. So, title of our message is Treasure from the Drunk Drawer. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 12 through 24. We're going to read through our passage first, and then we're going to break it down and go through it verse by verse. It says, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prissa, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love, be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, that is uh, as you uh, saw as we were reading through that. A lot of greetings, a lot of people, a lot of things. So, what what are the what are the treasures to be found in in the junk drawer? What are the treasures to be found at the ending of Paul's letter? I wrote down three things. I'm going to give them to you now, we're going to walk through each of them. The first one is that ministry is best done together. The second one is that ministry is best done with love. And the third is that ministry is best done with focus. So let's look at that first one, ministry is best done together. As we were reading through our passage, did you notice the the, the people, the names, the relationships that came out in that last passage? It kind of gives us a little bit of this bird's eye view into how Paul preferred to do ministry. He preferred to do ministry not alone, but together with with others. We saw a couple of groups of different people, and we're going to walk through those different groups. The first one that we see is in verse 12. Uh, it says, now concerning our brother Apollos. That now concerning, remember from last week, when, when Paul says now concerning, it means he's moving on to a new subject. All right, so we're moving away from the travel plans, and now we're moving into talking about something different, and we're talking about our brother Apollos. Uh, we know a little bit about Apollos. In fact, in uh, Acts chapter 18, uh, it says that, uh, in verse 24, it says, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. Competent in the Scriptures, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. This is so. so Apollos is this eloquent, well learned man who um, who who loves the Lord and um, and, and and is a great uh, apparently teacher and uh, he's powerful in the scriptures. We learned about him when we were going through 1 Corinthians, if you remember, all the way back, it's a long time ago. All the way back to chapter 1 and chapter 3. We both heard his name come up and it was when the Corinthians were divided amongst their famous teachers. You guys remember this? I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. You remember this? That's Apollos. That's him. He's one of the the famous teachers. It's one of the people that they were arguing over, that they were making divisions over. So Paul calls him, he says, I strongly ur- urged him to come and, and, and visit you, but it was not at all his will. He will come when he has opportunity. Now, we don't know exactly why uh, Apollos decided not to come at that time. Um, but I think that we can maybe make a guess that it was because of the attitudes of the Corinthians, right? He didn't, he didn't want to feed the division that was happening in the in the Corinthian church with their kind of uh, celebrity culture. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, right? He didn't want to feed into that celebrity culture, so he decided to maybe not go at this time, which honestly is so relatable to our day, isn't it? It's so relatable to to our day. We, we, We always think this, like, ah, the Corinthian church, you know, those guys. We don't struggle with anything that those guys struggle with. Like, and then we see this, and we're like, yes, we do, right? We absolutely struggle with the same things that the Corinthian church struggled with. Celebrity culture, cele- like celebrity teachers, right? We, we do the same thing that they do, right? I follow John MacArthur. I follow John Piper. I follow, you know, insert the name of the famous teacher, right? We are so like this, aren't we? Maybe you're even like this in, in our own church, I follow Jeff Bucknam. I follow JT. I follow Tommy Christ, said no one ever, right? You know. <laughs> but maybe that's why Apollos didn't want to, to visit them right now. He doesn't want to feed into the division that's happening there, causing more division in the church. And here's the thing that even though that division in, division's happening in Corinth, uh, Paul says to them that Apollos is his brother. Do you see how he introduces Apollos here? Our brother. The division might be happening there, but it is certainly not happening between Paul and Apollos. They are unified. They are together. They are in brotherly love and affection for one another. In fact, they're probably together at the moment uh, that Paul is writing this letter in Ephesus, doing ministry together. So, that's Apollos. Let's jump down to verse 15. We got another group of people. Verse 15, now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. Remember, Achaia is the province that the church of Corinth is in. Corinth is the, is the, is the, uh, the, the capital of Achaia. And, uh, and they, they, these people, the, uh, the household of Stephanus, they are the first converts in Corinth. They're the first people to come to know Jesus at this city, in this church. And in fact, back in chapter one, they're the only people that Paul. You remember that part where Paul's like, "I don't remember if I baptized anyone or who I baptized in in, in your church." Wait, what? Except for Stephanus and his household, he remembers them being the ones that he baptized in the beginning of the book. And here's the thing that Stephanus and his household are known for. Look at it, verse fifteen. That they had devoted themselves to the servants of the saint, or the service of the saints. They have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. This is what they are known for. Stephanus was a man of, of means. He was a man of wealth. And and, and Stephanus isn't here uh, being referred to uh, as and, and 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 characterized as a man of wealth. He's not referred to by any title or any position or any great, uh, amazing spiritual gifting that the Corinthians loved so much. He is recognized and described as one who is devoted to the service of the saints. Paul says to be subject to these and to every fellow worker and laborer. Do you see what Paul's doing? He's, He's holding them up as an example to the rest of the church. He's holding Stephanus and his household up as an example. Be like Stephanus, devoted to the service of the saints. He's holding them up as, a, as, as an example. I like to think um, and ask myself this question pretty much every time that uh, I come across verses like this. I like to ask myself, I like to put myself a little bit in the story, if someone uh, who knew me was writing a letter like this, like Paul is, how would they describe me? What would they say are my defining characteristics? Would they describe me as a a man who is devoted to the service of the saints? What if someone who you knew was writing a letter? And they had to describe you. What, what words would they use to describe you? Would they describe you as one who is devoted to the servants of the saints? Verse 17 I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence. Uh, Fortunatus and Achaicus are probably uh, they're members of Stephanus's household, probably most likely servants of Stephanus uh, who had also devoted themselves to the service of the saints doing the work together with Stephanus, And um, they made up for, it says, the Corinthians' absence. They refreshed my spirit as well as yours, give recognition to such people. Uh, remember that Paul planted the church of, at Corinth. He planted them. Which means that he deeply loved this church. He deeply missed the people of this church. And so when some of the people came to him, when Stephanus and his household and his servants came to Paul in Ephesus, he was refreshed. He was refreshed by that because he loves and misses the people of the church of Corinth so much. I I think about it like this. Uh, I'm up at Crystal Lake uh, most every week, and um, I get to stand in the lobby and greet people and uh, every once in a while, someone uh, from another campus will uh, come in, and I will see them, and, and we'll say hi. And uh, we've had a couple of people from Elgin visit us up in Crystal Lake, from Rolling Meadows, from all over the place, Aurora, North Shore. And, um, uh, and it, it's so wonderful, not only to see them, but it, the moment that I see them and am thankful to see them, I am immediately reminded of the people of that church. So when someone from Elgin comes, uh, it's especially meaningful because I did so many years of ministry here at this church, and when when I see someone from Elgin come, and I'm so glad that they're there, but I'm immediately reminded of how much I miss all of you. I'm immediately reminded of how much I love the people of this church, and it refreshes my soul. It refreshes my spirit, and I love moments when we get to come together again like this, That's that's what Paul is talking about here, that refreshing of his spirit, because he misses and loves these people so deeply. At the end, it says to give recognition to such people, to give recognition to such people. Corinth had a a, a little bit of a problem (laughs) giving recognition to people, right? Kind of throughout the the whole letter, we find out that they had a little bit of a a problem with this. Uh, They were not good at giving recognition really to the right people. All right, they gave it to the, to the famous teachers and they gave it to the people with the flashy spiritual gifts, right? This is, this is who they lifted up. This is who they gave recognition to. And Paul is like, wait, wait a second. No, give recognition to these people, to people such as this who are devoted to the service of the saints. These are the people who deserve your recognition. He is holding them up as examples. And listen, when we do ministry together, we can hold up those doing well as examples to others. Because listen, we need desperately in the church, we need examples. We need good role models, amen? And so to hold them up as examples, we recognize them, we give recognition to those who devote themselves. To serving. And so, actually, we're going to do that right here across all of our campuses right now. If you serve in any way in our church, or maybe you serve uh, the Lord outside of the four walls of our church, if you serve in any way, I want you to stand to your feet right now. I'm not going to make you do anything. I just want you to stand up to your feet. If you serve in any area of our church, if you serve in any area outside of the walls of our church, just stand up right now across all of our campuses. Amazing. Amazing. Let's look around. Let's give recognition. Thank you. Keep standing. Hold on. Keep standing. Don't sit down just yet. Thank you for giving yourself to the saints. Thank you for serving the Church of Jesus Christ, the people of God. Thank you for being an example in serving in our church. Thank you. You can you can be seated. Now, thank you, guys. Amen. Now listen, if you want to serve in in our church, outside of our church, can I just tell you that there are so many opportunities for you to do that? We have so many opportunities for you to serve the Lord here. You could talk to a pastor, Pastor John, Britt, Brian. You could talk to any staff member. You could even uh, find someone who you saw standing. Talk to them. Ask them where they're serving. Again, ministry is best done together with each other. Amen. 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 Uh, we have a place for you, and we would love to do ministry together with you. All right, that's the second group of people. Here's the other group of people. Verse 19 It says, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prissa, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The holy kiss was a custom in the ancient world. It's kind of our modern-day version of the holy handshake probably had a couple of those on your way in today right maybe a holy hug for feeling extra rambunctious right (laughs) it shows relationship right it shows uh, welcoming fellowship love for one another and so here we learn about Aquila and Prissa it says that's short for Priscilla Aquila and Priscilla and Paul is actually with them uh, at Ephesus as he's writing this and they are sending greetings sending hearty greetings in the Lord why to show the church in Corinth that they are not alone, that they are not doing ministry by themselves. Even though they're in different parts of the world, they are doing the ministry together. They are working for the gospel of Jesus Christ together, right, and so the the church in Crystal Lake sends you greetings, Elgin, all right, and all of our other campuses. We're in different churches, different, uh, different people, different locations, but it is the same work Unified in Christ, we are doing ministry together across all of Chicago land. And so, a couple of things about Aquila and Priscilla is that uh, they, they were a family that, that had means. Uh, they were church planters, and everywhere that they would go, they would use their house because it was large enough for, for the church that was in that city to gather together to have church in. Uh, they were known to the Corinthians, and they were probably held in very high regard. We see them in Acts 18 as well. Um, they came, they, they visited Corinth. They were well-known in Corinth. Um, we also know that they had a very strong relationship with Paul. In fact, when Paul left Corinth to go to Syria, Aquila and Priscilla went with him, again, to plant churches, to do ministry with, with Paul. They, they had strong relationship. And then also a really fun fact is that they uh, mentored Apollos, Apollos was in the synagogue preaching in uh, Acts chapter 18. Actually, I'll read it for us. It says that he began speaking boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So Aquila and Priscilla mentored Apollos, this great famous teacher of Corinth. This couple, this married couple came together and they mentored him and taught him uh, more the accurate ways of of God and of Jesus. Listen, this is how the sh- the church should be. Together, encouraging one another, refreshing one another, growing each other, serving each other, caring for each other, strengthening each other. And maybe you have—I'm sure you have—an Aquila and Priscilla in your life, someone who has poured into you, someone who has taught you more accurately the ways. Of God. I think a really great thing to give them recognition is maybe sometime this week, send them a text thanking them for making that investment into you and helping you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Ministry is best done together. Second thing is that ministry is best done with love. Let's look at verse 13 and 14. It says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. These, are, uh, these words are called present imperatives, which, um, which means that they are not momentary attitudes or actions, they are continuous, they are a continuing state of action. It is not just be watchful once. It is always be watchful. Continue being watchful. Continue standing firm. Continue acting like men. Continue being strong, right? Present imperatives. Let's go through them uh, phrase by phrase. Be watchful. What does this mean? It means to be on guard. To be on guard. To to not be caught uh, asleep. To wake up. Paul is concerned there are false teachers and wolves who are trying to infiltrate the, the church, and he wants them to be on guard, to be watchful, like, like a lookout on the wall, searching for danger. Wake up. Be on guard. Uh, there is a sound that wakes me up every single morning. I'm going to share it with you. Just kidding. It's coming. Oh, hold on. It's because I'm pressing that button. Here it is. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) Some of you are like, why? (laughs) Why would you do that to yourself? Uh, That... that (laughs) That tone is called alarm, Um, and it is the only thing that, like, wakes me up, right? If I, if it's, you know, the peaceful, like, chimes and stuff like that, that that doesn't do it, because I am a man who loves to press the snooze button. Anyone with me on the snooze button? Man, I love just to hit it maybe a couple of times and then have a little freak-out moment. Maybe I overslept, right? And so I have that as my alarm, because there is no way that I am not awake after hearing that blaring nuclear signal that's happening in my ear right and (laughs) like that that is that is what wakes me up and 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 this is this is the this is what this is saying be watchful wake up listen we 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 can't hit snooze on this we can't hit snooze we 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 need to be on guard we can't be caught sleeping be watchful then says to stand firm in the faith this means to hold your ground Be strong in your doctrinal convictions. Be firm in your theology. Stand firm on the perfect word of God. Because if we aren't, the Bible tells us that we will be tossed to and fro on the waves. So many voices are are speaking to us today. Do you notice that? So many voices, whether it be through social media, whether it be from a podcast, whether it be from the news news. Media, whether it be um, from any other place, the radio and beyond, those voices are speaking to us, and with those voices come false teaching. And if we are not standing firm in our faith, we can be led astray. Charles Spurgeon uh, once said that discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. Sometimes the false teaching is small, and it is hidden behind slogans and phrases uh, used to deceive us, right? Like um, follow your heart. that 's a famous one that we hear repeated a lot. Or people are inherently good deep down. Just believe in yourself. You can do it yourself. But sometimes the false teaching is out in the open, right? Like the prosperity gospel. If you believe in Jesus, He will bless you with health, wealth, and happiness. Or what about works-based salvation? Right? All you have to do is work harder. You can actually be so good that you earn your salvation. Or what about the belief that, oh, well, you know, Christ isn't, um, Christ isn't uh, a person, it's a state of being, right? This new age, false teaching. And these are happening today. These are things that are being said today. Voices all around us, these are the things that are being taught. There are social media accounts with hundreds of thousands of followers who are promoting these false teachings. And so church, we need to stand firm in the faith. We need to stand firm, holding our ground on the word of God, strong in our doctrine so that we won't be swayed by ear tickling or nice sounding slogans of false teaching. Because listen, the world is going to try and push us off Of our firm standing on God's word. We see it happening everywhere. You can say that you're a Christian and the world is probably okay with that, but the moment you start acting like a Christian, the moment you start living like a Christian, holding on to the truths of God's perfect world, they will come against you. When we start to share the exclusive claims that the word of God makes, like Jesus is the only way to salvation. They will come against us. They come against us. They do. When we hold firm to the truths that are uncomfortable in our culture regarding sexuality and gender and identity, they will come against you. We must stand firm in the faith. The next phrase is act like men. It's interesting in our present age. that is shockingly a bit of a controversial statement, uh, but we're not going to talk about that today. Uh, This is actually a pretty familiar verse to the men of our church, Um, and there's been some really great things uh, taught and said about this verse, and there is really something to be said about acting like a man. But I think that the way that Paul is, is using this here is less about masculinity and more about maturity. It's less about masculinity, and it is more about maturity. Act like an adult. (laughs) Act like a grown-up. Don't act like a child. Act like an adult. When I was a child, I did childish things, but when I matured, I moved on from those childish ways. Act mature. And there's a special emphasis here on courage. Act in mature courage. Mature courage is to faithfully carry out one's responsibilities to Christ even in the face of extreme danger and frightening circumstances. To be courageous is to not give in to fear or hopelessness or let them interfere with our duty to follow Christ fully. Listen to me, following Christ is not for cowards. Following Christ is not for cowards. We are to be mature and courageous, just like Paul as he's writing this in Ephesus and facing mortal danger and opposition from those who are opposed to him. Mature courage, it goes on to say, be strong. And I don't think that that's a mistake, that courage and strength are next to each other. You guys remember the Joshua 1, 9? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is right as Joshua is about to lead the people of Israel into the promised land, and he says, be strong and courageous. There's many difficulties ahead. Those people in there are giants. It's going to be a tough road ahead, but I am with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. That's our call, too, Go and do the things God has asked of you. And if you notice all of these commands, they they seem like, like a general giving commands to his army, right? Like a general giving commands to his men. And they are very much like that because Christian, we are in a battle. We are in a battle against the forces of evil and darkness of this present age, against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We are in a spiritual battle daily And so we must do these things, but not just these things. It's followed up with this. Let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. All of these qualities, right? Everything, but specifically, you know, the things that I just said, Paul, right? Do those in love, Because each of these are are admirable in their own right, right? Being watchful is admirable, standing firm, admirable. All of these things are admirable by themselves, but the greater call is to do these things with love, right? Being watchful is good, but being watchful with love is better. Standing firm in the faith is good, but standing firm in the faith with love is better, Acting like men or being courageous and mature is good, but doing it in love is better. Being strong is good, but doing it in love is better. Let all that you do be done in love. In fact, weeks ago, we looked at uh, chapter 13. Uh, And um, if you remember, that's the extensive extensive teaching that Paul does on, on love. But as the Corinthians were going through this letter, this would have been just moments ago for them. Remember, it's being read out loud to them. So while it seems like weeks or maybe months for us, this was, this was just moments ago for them. So when Paul says this, let all that you do be done in love, their mind is going to be focused on what Paul taught on love. Their mind would probably drift to things like 1 Corinthians thirteen two. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am Nothing. Or their minds would drift to 13:4 that love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Let all that you do be done. In love. In fact, Paul displays his love to the Corinthians at the end of the letter. Verse 21, Paul says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Maybe a curious phrase for us. Wait, he's just writing this with his own hand? Yeah, um, at the very end, Paul chooses to write this ending uh, with his own hand, which means that he didn't write the rest of the letter. In fact, he probably used a, a scribe or an emanuensis, which is uh, he, would, he would dictate and the person would write down... Maybe Paul had really bad handwriting. We don't know, right? Um, but this is how he chose to do it. And at the very end, he chooses to write this greeting with his own hand. Why would he say that? Why would he let the Corinthians know that this is him? Well, I think in the same way that... if uh, Men, if you didn't know Mother's Day is next week. <laughs> hint, hint. Get a card. Um, it would be in the same way that like we, as, uh, as, as, as people who love each other, we give each other cards, right? And in the card... Uh, it has a, maybe a beautiful uh, poem or something like that. And then at the end, what do we do? We write something with our own hand, right? And then we sign it, love, Tommy, right? And in our house, I, I would take it around to all the kids, and they have terrible handwriting, but it's super cute. And so they write their names in there as best as they can, and, and it signifies to Kelly that we love her, that we care about her, that this is meaningful to us. We want to show her that we love her. We want her to know that this is from us. And so Paul ends this at the end of his writing because, one, it, it authenticates the letter. It's, it's Paul's signature, but it's also to show them that they are meaningful to him. He even uh, says that he loves them at the end of verse 24. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus Amen. And I love that Paul ends his letter like that. He's like, listen, don't forget that I love you. (laughs) I know that in this letter, there are some hard things, right? Uh, I had to correct you on a lot, right? I had to correct you on division. I had to correct you on the Lord's Supper. I had to correct you on marriage. I had to correct you on the spiritual gifts. I had to correct you on, you know, like everything, right? There's a lot of hard things that Paul had to say to the Corinthians in this letter. And at the end, it's like, don't forget. Please remember that I love you. That correction had to happen because it matters how we live for Christ. But remember that I love you. Ministry, both in the good times and the hard times, is best done with love. And here's the last one. Ministry is best done with focus. Ministry is best done with focus. Paul had a personal focus throughout this entire letter, in fact, in his entire life. And Paul's personal focus is this, to make disciples. And so from the beginning chapter, chapter 1, to the ending chapter 16, Paul's focus is to make disciples, to grow them in their love for God, to grow them in their faith, to correct the things that they're doing wrong so that they can live for Christ. He is discipling them. In fact, it, it, it's so much of his focus that he, we learned last week, it, it messed with his travel plans. He was so focused on disciple that, discipling people that it, it dictated where he was going to travel and when he was going to travel. Paul really had a focus on making Disciples. And so when he says in verse 22, he says, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. That word accursed is, is the word an, uh, anathema. Anathema it means to let them be banned, cast them out, essentially. They're accursed. If they have no love for the Lord, if they have no love for God, let them be anathema. Let them be cast out. Paul's goal is that the people would have a love for God, that as they do ministry together for the Lord Jesus, that they would love God, and anyone who didn't love God, that they wouldn't do ministry with them. They would cast them out. We do ministry with the people who love the Lord, and if they don't love the Lord, we don't do ministry with them. We do ministry to them. Ministry in the church is done by those who love God, and he had a future focus, Paul did, not just a personal focus, but a future focus. You see the next couple of words after, in verse 22, it says, our Lord, come! Explanation point. It's like a shout. Like Paul is yearning for the moment that our Lord Jesus comes. Now, Lord. The word here is Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, Paul is living for this day when the Lord Jesus would come again. When he would right all of the wrongs and bring with him a reign of peace. Future when Jesus will come again to judge and to reign. And Paul, I believe, wants to leave the church with this view in mind. Our Lord, come Focusing their eyes on the future when the Lord Jesus comes again. Because the Corinthian church was a dirty church. It was a dirty church. They had problems with a lot of things. But the Corinthian church is not the only dirty church. Because imperfect people are doing ministry, there will always be a mess. There will always be dirtiness. Our church is a dirty church. I would venture to say that every church is a dirty church, because it is imperfect people doing ministry. There's always going to be struggle and strife and mess. They struggled with it at the beginning of the church, and we all struggle with it now. And we need the Word of God to wash over us, to clean us. And I pray that our time in 1 Corinthians has done exactly that, that it has washed over us as a church to help us continue to strive for God's best for our community. The church is always going to be a dirty church. It is going to continuously be dirty. Listen, but when the Lord Jesus comes, Maranatha, there will be no more dirty churches. He will make all things right. So church, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for not only our time in Chapter 16 today and all of the treasure that you had for us in the junk drawer, but Lord, we are so thankful for our time throughout this entire book, all of the things that you have been teaching us and, and leading us towards, and Lord, I am so thankful that you wash us with your word. Lord, would you help us to continue to, to strive Uh, towards holiness as a church. But Lord, we know that we're going to fail. We know that there's always going to be some mess in the church. And so Lord, our eyes are focused on on Maranatha. Our Lord, come. We are focused on that day when you will make all things right. Where you will come and bring peace. And you will cleanse us fully. You will bring with you perfection. And so Lord, we are so hopeful for that day. Come today, Lord. Come now. We love you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information on how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbiblechapel.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.